those qualities that we call the Beatitudes are in fact descriptions of those people who are already in Jesus' spiritual kingdom, who are real Christians, we could say, who really belong to Jesus. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Did you know that there is a simple diagnostic tool to discern your spiritual condition and health? Hello again, I'm Bill Wright. And today, Tom has part seven of his current series, What Your View of Scripture Says About You. Jesus explains exactly what that diagnostic tool is in the text we're studying in the Sermon on the Mount. A true subject of Jesus' spiritual kingdom will always have a right relationship to the Scriptures. You can always identify a true Christian by how they respond to these Scriptures. Today you'll discover how Jesus identifies three responses to Scripture that should characterize every believer. What are they? Well, let's find out as we join our teacher now on The Word Unleashed. We all want to be physically healthy, and we all want to know if, in fact, we are. Unfortunately, many of the tests that would tell us that, that would give us some measure of assurance that we are, in fact, healthy at this moment, are extremely intrusive and are highly expensive. But I read recently that doctors are working on a new kind of test, on a simple diagnostic tool that will provide a window into your overall health. And it may be as simple as testing your saliva. As it turns out, your mouth may provide the most accurate diagnosis of your physical health. Researchers at MD Anderson have been able to identify certain kinds of cancers from a simple mouth swab. Scientists at UT Austin believe that they are now able to predict future heart attacks by simply studying your saliva. Eventually, your mouth may be the window into your overall physical well-being. And let's face it, if that happens, wouldn't it be great? I mean, I don't think any of us are going to miss colonoscopies. (laughs) But did you know that there is already a simple diagnostic tool to discern your spiritual condition and health. One simple tool that will give you a window into your spiritual condition. Jesus explains exactly what that diagnostic tool is in the paragraph that we're studying in the Sermon on the Mount. I invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to Matthew 5. For those of you who are visiting with us, you find us many weeks now into our study of Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, if you didn't have the opportunity, maybe you want to catch up with us, you can go online and do that. But this morning we're looking at a paragraph that begins in chapter 5, verse 17, and runs down through verse 20. Let me read it for us to again set the context for our study this morning. Matthew 5, verse 17. Jesus says to us, Do not think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, 
Not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Essentially, we have reduced the teaching of this paragraph to a simple statement. It's this, a true subject of Jesus' spiritual kingdom will always have a right relationship to the Scripture. Or we could put it differently. You can always identify a true Christian by how he responds to the Scripture. In this paragraph, Jesus identifies three responses to Scripture that should characterize every believer. We've already studied two of them. Let me just briefly remind you. First of all, we learn in this text that we must understand Jesus' relationship to the Scripture. That's in verse 17. There was potential misunderstanding. At that point, all the Scripture they had, of course, was the Old Testament. Jesus refers to the Old Testament here as the Law and the Prophets. That was shorthand in the first century for, those, for the content that makes up the 39 books of our Old Testament. It was constructed a little differently, but it was the same content as our 39 books of the Old Testament. Jesus says of those that he did not come to abolish it. Jesus says, I don't want you to believe the common misperception that I have come to, literally the word is to demolish, to tear down with my life or with my teaching the authority of the Old Testament Scripture. In fact, he goes on in verse 17 to say, I came to fulfill the Old Testament. We talked about at length what that means. How does he fulfill it? Just to remind you, there are three ways Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. First of all, he fulfills it by bringing out its complete meaning. We're going to see this in the rest of Matthew 5. Jesus picks six passages from the Old Testament that had been abused and misunderstood, and he correctly explains them. Jesus brings out the true meaning of Scripture in his teaching. Secondly, he fulfills it by perfectly obeying it in his life. Jesus did everything God commanded. He perfectly loved God every moment of his life, and he perfectly loved his neighbor as himself without one even small violation of God's requirements. That's why he could die in our place, because he kept the law that you and I haven't. The third way he fulfilled the Old Testament was by bringing its message, which pointed to him to fruition in his own person. We could put it like this. Jesus explained the Old Testament in his teaching. Jesus obeyed the Old Testament in his life. And Jesus embodied the Old Testament in his own person. He was that to which it all pointed. He fulfilled it. Now, last week, we looked at the second response we should have to Scripture. Not only must we understand Jesus' relationship to the Scripture, He is the fulfillment of it in every sense, but we also need to believe Jesus' own view of the Scripture. 
If we're going to be his disciples, when a disciple is fully trained, he'll be like his teacher, right? Jesus said that. That means we need to believe about the Scripture what Jesus believed about the Scripture. And he makes that transparently clear to us in verse 18. In one monumental verse, Jesus explains his high view of Scripture. Look at it again, verse 18. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke of a letter shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Here in this incredible statement, Jesus tells us what he believes about Scripture. Again, at the time, it was the Old Testament. Jesus affirmed what we call the Old Testament in this statement. And as I've already mentioned to you, he pre-authenticated the New Testament by choosing the men who would write it or under whose auspices it would be written. But here he's talking about the Old Testament, which was all that had been written at the time. Notice what he says about Scripture. Jesus believed in its permanent authority until heaven and earth pass away. That's a proverbial way, excuse me, a proverbial way of saying never, not going to happen. It's never going to happen. It's permanent in its authority. Secondly, he believed in its verbal inspiration. The word inspiration means God breathed. That's how we use it. That's how it's used in 2 Timothy 3.16. God breathed out the Scripture. Just as the words I'm saying right now are the product of my breath, the words of Scripture are the product of the breath of God. God spoke them out just as truly as if he opened his mouth and through the product of breath passing across his vocal cords from his lungs, if in fact God weren't spirit, that's how it would be. They are as much the product of his mind as the words I'm speaking now are the product of mine. And notice he said... I, he says not only the words, but even the smallest letters, the smallest Hebrew letter, Yod. There's 66,000 of them in the Old Testament. And he says not one of those is going to pass away. Or the smallest stroke, that's the distinguishing stroke on a letter that distinguishes one Hebrew letter from another. It's like in English, the difference between a capital O and a capital Q, that little stroke that distinguishes them. That's what he's talking about. Not one of those, Jesus says, is going to fail. He also believed in its plenary inspiration, that is, all of it. Notice the end of the verse says, until all is accomplished. Not only every little part, but the entirety, the whole. He believed in its complete inerrancy. It's completely without error in everything it speaks to. He says, down to the letter and the stroke, it's all going to be done. It's all true. You can put your confidence in it. Obviously, he didn't mean that it's perfectly transmitted copy in the copying process, error-free, but in the originals, it was error-free. But that brings us to the final point he makes here, and that's its careful preservation. Because Jesus didn't have, in the first century, the original autographs, that is, the pieces of parchment on which Moses wrote, or on which the prophets wrote. He had copies, and yet he consistently called those copies the Scripture, and he told people to put their confidence in them. He was implying that it had been carefully preserved. God has carefully preserved His Word. Again, not without error in those copies, 
We have to compare them and put them together, but remarkably preserved for any ancient document. We talked about that last time. Now today we come to verses 19 and 20, and to the third response toward the Scripture that characterizes all true believers. It is that they accept Jesus' diagnosis with the Scripture. In other words, they accept the diagnosis that Jesus makes by using simply the Scripture. Now, I want you to note, first of all, that Jesus specifically connects verses 19 and 20 with his statements about the Scripture in verses 17 and 18. Notice the second word in verse 19, then. What Jesus says in verses 19 and 20 is the practical implication of what he had said about the Scripture in verses 17 and 18. In fact, the word that's used here is the Greek word that in the epistles is often translated, therefore. You see that word a lot in the epistles. It's when Paul wants to say, here are the practical implications of what I've just taught you. That's what Jesus is saying here. Let me give you the practical implications of what I've just taught you, Jesus says. In light of the fact that I did not come to abolish the Old Testament, but to fulfill it, and that I affirm the eternal authority of the Scripture, therefore, verse 19, whoever annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. The point that Jesus makes in verses 19 and 20 is that your relationship to the Scripture reveals your true spiritual condition. Let me say that again and listen carefully. Jesus maintains in verses 19 and 20 that your relationship and response to the Scripture is a perfect spiritual diagnostic tool to discern your true spiritual health. In fact, verse 20, we will learn next week that it even tells us whether or not we are Christians at all, whether we're part of his kingdom. Now, in these two verses, Jesus diagnoses the spiritual condition of three different categories of people. And the sole diagnostic tool he uses is their relationship to the Word of God. Now, remember as we work our way through these verses that... In all three categories of people claim to have a relationship with the true God. That's really important for you to understand. They all claim to have a relationship with the true God. But in each case, their response to the Scripture shows their true spiritual condition. Now look at the three categories. Verse 19, the first part of verse 19, we meet the first category. Notice they are people who are in the kingdom, or will be in the kingdom, but are called least. The second half of verse 19, we meet another category of people. Those who are in or will be in the kingdom and will be called the greatest. And then in verse 20, we meet the third category, those who will not enter the kingdom at all. You see those three categories? In the kingdom, but least. In the kingdom and great and not in the kingdom at all. And Jesus diagnoses that based solely on their their relationship to the Word of God. Now, in preparation for communion this morning, I just want us to look at verse 19 and the first two categories of people that Jesus describes and diagnoses here. The first category, let's call the dishonorable disciple. 
the dishonorable disciple. Here is a man or a woman who is in the kingdom, but not worthy of Jesus' honor. Look at the first half of verse 19. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I've already pointed this out, but just look again at this person's spiritual status. They are in the kingdom of heaven. In fact, notice the exact wording. This person shall be or will be in the kingdom. Now, that's an important shift in Jesus' message in this sermon. So far in this sermon, Jesus has spoken of his kingdom, his realm, the the place he rules, as a spiritual kingdom to which people belong right now. If you're a Christian today, you are in Jesus' spiritual kingdom. You are under his spiritual rule. He is the Lord of your heart and life. Go back to chapter 5, verse 3. You remember how the Beatitudes began? Blessed is the person who is a beggar in spirit, for theirs, what? Is the kingdom of heaven. It belongs to them right now. They're in the kingdom. The last beatitude comes back to that in verse 10. Blessed are those who've been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It belongs to them right now. He frames the beatitudes with that, those statements. <clears throat> in other words, those qualities that we call the Beatitudes are in fact descriptions of those people who are already in Jesus' spiritual kingdom, who are real Christians, we could say, who really belong to Jesus. And so we've gone through those qualities. We won't do that again. But that's, that's the current spiritual reality of his kingdom. But in verses 19 and 20, Jesus changes tenses on us. Notice again verse 19. He uses it twice. This person shall be, shall be called least in the kingdom. Shall be called great in the kingdom. And then in verse 20, this person will not enter the kingdom. Notice all of those point to the future. In these two verses, Jesus is referring not to the present aspect of the kingdom, that spiritual kingdom over which he rules, which all true Christians are a part of, but rather the future aspect of his kingdom, when he literally, physically reigns on this planet. So he's looking to the future. When Jesus establishes his future kingdom, this person will be in the kingdom. Now, you understand that to get into the future kingdom, you have to be a part of Jesus' spiritual kingdom today. So both are true, but Jesus is looking to the future. Clearly then, the person Jesus is describing in the first half of verse 19 is a true Christian. That's very important for you to remember. This is a true Christian. But notice what distinguishes this category of Christian is his treatment of the Scripture. Notice how he treats it. He feels free to annul one of the least of these commandments, and he teaches others to do the same. Jesus describes his treatment of Scripture, this this category of Christian, in two ways. First of all, he annuls even one of the least of these commandments. What does that mean? Well, the word annuls, the Greek word annul, 
literally was used to loose something or untie something. If you had an animal, you tied it to a hitching post or whatever, and you came up and you loosed it, you untied it. It means to undo something that is used to tie up an animal. That's how it was used literally. It came to be used figuratively to mean to, to loose in the sense of have a document no longer have authority in your life or to loose yourself from one of the commands. That's what Jesus is saying. It's like you untie yourself from the responsibility to obey something in Scripture, including even a least, one of the least of the commandments. This person, this Christian, this kind of Christian annuls or does away with or unties himself from the responsibility toward one of these commandments, one of the least of these commandments. Now, what is Jesus talking about? In context, he has to mean the least significant Old Testament command. It's essentially equivalent to the smallest letter and the smallest stroke of verse 18. So the Christian in the first half of verse 19, then, is one who minimizes or downplays any portion of Scripture, even the portion that is least significant. You say, wait a minute. Hold that thought. Are there insignificant parts of Scripture? Yes, there are. First of all, the rabbis certainly believe so. In fact, the rabbis had taken the law. Now we're talking about the first five books of the Old Testament, the writings of Moses. They had taken the law, and they had broken it down into 613 commands. 248, they said, were positive. 365 were negative. One for every day of the year. And they engaged in endless debate over which of those 613 commands were the heaviest and which were the lightest. You may or may not be interested to know that many of the rabbis considered Deuteronomy 22.6 the lightest commandment in all the Old Testament. I know you're curious. What is it, right? Listen to this. Deuteronomy 22.6, if you happen to come upon a bird's nest along the way in any tree or on the ground with young ones or eggs and the mother sitting on the young or on the eggs, you shall not take the mother with the young. That's the lightest, they said. They believed the heaviest was Deuteronomy 6.5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your might. Jesus affirmed that to be true. Jesus himself regarded the laws of the Old Testament to be different in weight. Did you know that? Look at Matthew 23. Matthew 23. When he was giving his woes on the the spiritual leaders of Israel, he said this to them in verse 23, Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe... Your garden herbs, mint and dill and cumin. And at the same time, you've neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. In other words, Jesus was saying, it's true. There are some commandments that are lighter and some that are heavier. But notice what he says at the end of verse 23. But these things you should have done without neglecting the others. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, if God commands it, whether it's a heavy command or whether it's a light command, you should do it. You should take it seriously. 
So what Jesus is saying to us in Matthew 5 and in Matthew 23 is that every command, even the insignificant, is important and must be kept. Now, if you're a thinking Christian, and I hope you are, I hope you're thinking along with me, you, you have a question. And that question is, every Old Testament command? Let me give you an important caveat. Jesus is not saying that today a New Testament believer must keep every Old Testament command without exception. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part seven of his series, What Your View of Scripture Says About You. Tom will have part eight next time, and we hope you'll join us then. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth. Thank you.